1: We do not succeed. Sometimes we fail in our attempt to follow the Lord and we think what the Lord is doing. When we fail, we sense discouragement. We sense depression. Frustration. In some cases even embarrassment. Does failing in ministry mean that the ministry was not from God?
0: Does failing in a ministry mean that the
1: ministry was not from God? I don't necessarily think so.
0: In your work for God's kingdom, have you ever failed? Have you ever felt called to something only to fall flat on your face? Today, Pastor Dave explains that even when it seems like your ministry isn't going well, you're not a failure. God has a divine plan for your life. Stick to what He has in store and experience your full potential. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 5 as he begins his message, Being a Fanatic.
1: The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, Acts 5. If you found your place, I'll read aloud if you will read along silently, please. Acts 5, verse 40, And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I have a riddle for you this morning. Now, those of you who were first service can't answer. I will not hear anybody first service singing out now. That's not fair. I have a riddle for you. What's green? Oh, come on. It's a riddle. <laughs> What's green? Okay, fine. What's green and fuzzy? Kermit the Frog. Yeah, right. Okay. Let's continue with this riddle. What's green and fuzzy and has a long neck? No, his neck's short. Okay, what's green and fuzzy, has a long neck and a big belly? The Philly Fanatic. Thank you. Yay. If I was Don Rickles, i said you get a cookie. The Philly Fanatic. And what's the Philly Fanatic a fanatic about? The Phillies. Yeah, this is a rocket science, folks. The Phillies. He's a fanatic about the Phillies. He loves his baseball team. Sorry for you Yankee fans out there, or Mets fans. He loves the Phillies. He just loves his Philadelphia Phillies. Everywhere he goes, he represents the Phillies. He loves being at the games. You've seen him in the games, cheering on the home team, hexing the bad team, Boo the visitors. He's a fanatic. He's the Philly fanatic, and we love him. He never stops talking baseball. He is baseball. I love him. Best mascot in sports. I love the guy. Well, I guess I have to ask you a question. Are you a fanatic about something? Is there something in your life that you're a fanatic about, like the Philly fanatic is fanatic about baseball? Maybe you're a sports fanatic. You know, I have some friends. I do have friends. You laugh when I said I had friends. I have some friends, and one of them owns a house right over here off of Breakwater Road. You might have seen it at the one that says Donovan McNabb Boulevard. Bet she wishes she could take that down. Anyhow, you go into a room in their house, and it's filled with nothing but eagles. I mean, there is everything you can possibly think about the Philadelphia Eagles. Everywhere you go, she's an Eagle fanatic. She's been ticking a whole, you know, a whole nine yards. I had another friend that I live next door in Ocean City, New Jersey. He was a Flyer fanatic. I mean, you went into a certain room in his house, everything in the room was Flyers, orange and black. Oh, my gosh. When the Flyers were in the, when the playoffs, he would hang a huge, and I mean huge, Flyer flag out in front of his, his house. Yeah, you know, he's a fanatic. Loved his Flyers. Loved Flyers. Eagles, are you a fanatic about sports? About fishing? Are you a fanatic about fishing? You love to go fishing? Is that your passion? I used to be a NASCAR fanatic. Oh, I love NASCAR. I love races, you know, step on the gas, turn left. I love that stuff, man. It was great. Man, I just love NASCAR. I was a fanatic about it. Wore all the shirts and stuff like that. You see, oh, I forgot one. Maybe you're a fanatic about cleaning. We'll move on. Being a fanatic about something simply means that you're very zealous towards that particular thing. It means that you have a zeal towards that which you're a fanatic about. I looked up the dictionary of fanaticism, it says it's a belief or behavior involving uncritical zeal, particularly for an extreme religious or political cause, or in some cases, sports. I didn't like that very much. Or with an obsessive enthusiasm for a pastime or a hobby. I wasn't crazy about that definition. It didn't fit what I want to think a fanatic is where we're going today in today's message. I found a quote from Winston Churchill, and this is what he said, a fanatic is one who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. I like that definition. I like that definition, and you probably thinking in the back of your mind, I can see where you're going with this. Fanatic is one who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. We've been working our way through chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. We've been stuck on 5 for the last long time. Anyhow, we come to the end of chapter 5 in the book of Acts. And let me kind of fill you in on some of the things that have been happening. The council is again arrested. They were accused of disobedience to the Jewish law because they were teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus after the council had said, don't preach in the name of Jesus. The council had warned them and scolded them and said, don't preach in this name. They were preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Peter now has had the chance to share the gospel message with the council two times. He has shared it with them perfectly two times. The last time he did this, when they heard it, it says in verse 33, they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. When we looked at other scriptures and in the King James, it says they were cut to the heart. They were cut right to the heart. And what that told me was, is that the word of God did exactly what the word of God was supposed to do. It cuts to the heart. The word of God cuts right to the heart when you're listening to it. It cuts right through all the mush, what through all the muck and mire, right through all the sin, all the smoke signals that we put up to keep it from coming in, boy, it goes right in and cuts. But They were furious. They were angry. They were really mad at these guys. that They wanted to kill them. That's how angry they were. So Gamaliel, a Pharisee and one of the most brilliant thinkers and the most influential teachers in Jewish history, he stands up. And he makes a suggestion to the council. He says, don't do anything to these guys. He said that, you know, other people like them or like him, Jesus, has come, gained some followers, and then when he died, the followers dispersed. Don't do anything to these guys because the same thing's going to happen to this group. I mean, after all, Jesus is dead, they think. He's been crucified. We put him in a tomb. We put a stone on the tomb. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We've heard the stories about him being alive, but we don't believe that because we know that these men, these apostles, stole the body. So they're making a decision. Their decision is we're going to avoid the truth of the gospel, we're going to let him alone. Let him alone. He thinks that these guys who are following Jesus are going to soon follow the pattern of Thudius and Judas of Galilee, how they, they were all followers of these guys, the real zeal- zealots. But then when, when they stop being alive, when the men have died, they disperse and they wander away. Gamaliel stands before the Sanhedrin and he declares to them in verses 38 and 39, he says, and now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this plan is of men, it will come to nothing. But it is of, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, least you be found to fight against God. Gamaliel is expecting them to pass, or repeat itself. He urges the council to avoid the truth. This is a huge weakness in Gamaliel. He's urging the council to avoid the truth. He was motivated. He encouraged them by neutrality, but his motivation was wrong. He was really encouraging them to deny Jesus. This was a chance of the lifetime for the Sanhedrin. Salvation had come to visit them twice. Salvation was before them in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were saying, we can't decide. Well, you know. You're either for or you're against. There's no middle road. If you're undecided, that means no. Gamaliel is having them avoid the truth. They are avoiding the truth of the gospel, and we know that the gospel demands a decision. It demands a decision when it's heard, and it demands a decision from us. Having heard the truth about Jesus Christ several times now, Gamaliel and the council were losing out On an opportunity of a lifetime, I said. They were making this decision by not making a decision. They were undecided, which meant they were saying no. He had them avoid the truth. And these are classic words from Gamaliel. Listen to what he says. If this plan is of men, it will come to nothing, but it is of God. You cannot overthrow. At least you be found even to fight against God. We would all like to see success in our ministries and what the Lord's doing in our lives. But it's true, sometimes we do not succeed. Sometimes we fail in our attempts to follow the Lord, and we think what the Lord is doing. When we fail, we sense discouragement. We sense depression. Frustration. In some cases, even embarrassment. Does failing in ministry mean that the ministry was not from God? Does failing in a ministry mean that the ministry was not from God? I don't necessarily think so. I don't necessarily think that you can use that as a guide for whether it was of God or not. I really don't. And I'm going to give you an example of this. About 1999, about the time that this church, Calvary Chapel Cape May, was being planted, I started a Bible study in Upper Township. My pastor then suggested that we start a Bible study in Upper Township, and we decided we'd go on Sunday nights. So we decided we'd meet on Sunday nights. We found a friend who opened up his home in Palermo, Upper Township, We would go to Calvary Chapel in the morning, Calvary Chapel Violin in the morning, and on Sunday nights around 5.30, we'd go to this person's house, and we would have a Bible study. We said, okay, we're going to go line by line, verse by verse, which is the Calvary method, through the book of Genesis. So we opened up his home. We started our study. I was certain that the Lord was leading us. I was certain that the Lord was guiding us. I was certain that the Lord was going to do something mighty in this fellowship. Each week, we had upwards of 30 to 35 people at the study. Sometimes we had 40. There were so many people in there that they were sitting up the steps going to the upstairs. The place was packed. I'm thinking, Lord, what are you doing? This is incredible. That fellowship and this fellowship started to get together. The ladies would get together. Elaine, remember you came to my house. Come to my house. They would come to our house and they would fellowship would be and the girls from Upper Township. The men would get together for breakfasts on Saturdays. We had these fellowships going on. What a wonderful blessing. I saw God's hand on everything on everything. When we finished the book of uh, Genesis, we decided to take a break. And the only reason we took a break was because the people who were housing the Bible study had some personal problems and they felt that they could no longer honor the Lord because of these personal problems. And so they asked if they could take a break. Well, I'm certainly not going to force anybody to have a Bible study in their home. So I said, sure, we'll take a break. We tried to prop things up with having social outings like mini golf contests or or ice cream and mini golf at one of the boardwalk places, you know, just trying to keep people interested. We even started a study on Thursday nights in all things the Book of Acts. It was a great time in Tuckahoe that day. We started these studies. But when it came apparent that our friends could no longer support the study and they were not going to open up their home any longer, we started to look for another place to meet. We ended up meeting at the um, Upper Township Fire Hall right across from Dino's Diner on Route 50. We rented the place for Sunday afternoons or Sunday night. We opened it up. Four people, five people, six once in a while, three, two. What was the Lord doing? I prayed, Lord, if you want to close this, close it, it's your your study. I didn't think He'd take me up on it. He closed it. It was done. We ended up not meeting anymore. It was done. I was a failure. I was discouraged. I was beaten. I was a failure. He closed the study. What's going on here? I didn't understand that. But you can't convince me God was not in that study. There was fruit that came out of that study, fruit that's lasting. I see the fruit now of people that have been saved because of the study, still following Jesus Christ right now to this day. There was a marriage that came out of that study. The two people that were introduced in the study got married and have children today, and are following the Lord and serving him strongly at Calvary Chapel, Violin. You can't tell me that God's hand was not in that study but he closed it. It wasn't successful. So it's not always God's will. It was a season that God had planted in my life, a season of which he called me to do something that I did as faithfully as I could, and God blessed it. But yet, he closed it. Why? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Trust in me. I was extremely disappointed, I felt like a failure. But I come to realize that God's plan is different than my plan. But what it taught me was, is that my one and sole purpose was to focus on Jesus Christ. And the only way I could focus on Jesus Christ, the best way I knew how, was to take my nose and plant it in this book, and read, and learn, and study, and recognize him. The best way I could do it was keeping here, because you know why? Men fail, but God's word never fails. God's Word never comes back void. It's truth. And if we study it, we learn truth. And we have peace and we're content. And our soul is filled with righteousness. And we learn how to be righteous. We learn how to be holy. We learn what it takes to be considered righteous and holy. To a holy God, a righteous God, who wants to have fellowship with us. God never fails. My strength comes from the Lord. Yeah, I may fail, but His Word endures forever. His word will always endure. My help comes from the Lord. So the council that day put their trust in a man because of the knowledge he had of their law and his reputation as a teacher, a dangerous place to be. Instead of putting their trust in the one true living God, they put their trust in a man. Because of the unwise counsel that Gamaliel gave them, instead of listening to the Lord, they forfeited a chance for salvation. They forfeited a chance for salvation. My friends, don't let that ever happen to you. Don't let that happen today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Allow his voice to, allow his voice to come. Allow his word to, to penetrate your heart, to, to get in there and do whatever it needs to do, to look for that good soil, to be planted firmly in there and to grow and to blossom. Don't harden your hearts. That's what I see what's happening here. The council avoids the truth. And if it does not follow Gamiel. The T. They slightly alter Gamaliel's plan because remember, he said, Keep away from these men and let them alone. In our text this morning that we're studying in verse 40, the council agrees with Gamaliel. They agree with them, but to a point. In verse 40, it says, And they agreed with him, and when they called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Although they agreed with Gamaliel's advice, but because they were so angry at the apostles. They were filled with indignation. They were boiling mad. They felt they had to do something. Has anyone ever troubled you that way? Has gotten you so mad, you go, I just got to do something. I just that's the way they felt. We got to do something. What are we going to do? Well, let's at least beat them. Let's at least smack them around a little bit. Yeah. Let them know that they've been in some sort of a fight. Yeah, that's what we'll do. I mean, after all, if we don't do that, we'll look bad. And remember how this council did not want to look bad. They wanted it to look like they were the religious leaders. I mean, after all, they're disobeying our law. Who are they to disobey my law? Maybe you ever said, who is that person that talk to me like that? Do they know who I am? Who do they think they are? You ever have that fight? Something had to be done, so they beat them. It's interesting here that the word used for beaten is scourged. is scourged. To flay. Actually, it means to skin. To skin. Picture in your mind, if you will, the movie Passion of the Christ. When Jesus was beaten. That's scourging. That's what scourging is. It's no little pat on the mouth. It's no little spank on the hiney. That's what scourging is. A cat of nine tails taking skin away and skinning to the bone. That's what happened to these guys. It's the usual punishment it's 39 lashes. You can check that out in Deuteronomy 25, 1 and 3, and 2 Corinthians 11:24. 24. It's a typical punishment, 39 lashes. One of the commentators I was reading said this, it was no soft option. People were known to die from it. It was meant to be a serious lesson to offenders. The beating they received actually stripped the skin from their backs. I'm sure that this punishment was not only extremely painful, it caused some of them serious I'm sure some of them were a little bit frail or not as strong as others. And I'm sure some of them really, really had a serious problem with this. And I'm sure when they left, they had to help each other up, carefully not touching each other's backs as they helped them out of the prison. Why did the council have to beat them? Why did the council decide that they had to beat them? You ever notice that when people refuse to deal with disagreements on the basis of principle and truth, They always resort to what? Violence. When people can't handle the truth, they can't deal with the principles and the truth, and they can't settle agreements that way, violence. That's what the council was doing. And it's really, really sad that violence is often done in the name of what? Religion. It's done in the name of religion. It's done in the name of patriotism. We're always wanting to destroy each other in the name of our God or our country. But the Christian has been called to a higher standard. We've been called to a higher standard. We've been called to fight without hatred. Fight without hatred. We've been called to love our enemies. We are to resist without bitterness when things go against us. And should, by some chance, God give us victory, we're not to be vindictive. That's not how the Christian fights. We're different than other people. We don't fight the same way. And how did the apostles respond? (laughs) Look at verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name's sake. What? Rejoicing? I'm going to be wrong, folks. They weren't rejoicing because they were beaten. They were not rejoicing because they were beaten. They were not rejoicing because of the problem that had come upon them. They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy. They had been connected to Christ. They had been connected to Christ through suffering. And this was counting them worthy, and that's what they were rejoicing about. It's a privilege, a privilege to be associated with Jesus in any circumstance, even to suffer shame. What? Yes, even to suffer shame for his namesake. You know, the apostles have been with Jesus how long? Three years. They spent three years with him, 24-7, sitting by the campfire, listening to him at night, sleeping around him, hearing him snore, waking up in the morning with him fellowshipping with him, watching as he goes off to pray, coming back, healing all kinds of people. Three years they spent with him. But I can't help but imagine that when this happened, when their backs were bloodied and they were walking out of that cell, staggering out of that cell, some of them started to think about Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11, or excuse me, 10 to 12. They started to think about this. And he, Jesus said to them on that mountain, that glorious day, they're called the Beatitudes. And at the end of the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Did they think this when they were leaving the council? Was this on their mind? And they thought, wow, remember what Jesus said about persecution? Look what just happened. And their hearts were filled with overflowing. Their hearts were filled. They were satisfied with the love of Christ. They said, wow, he was talking about this day. Was he making a prophecy as what was happening here? And they were joyed over glad. Now it says, blessed, which in translated means, oh, how happy. This is not some giddy, giddy happiness. This is a true satisfaction in the heart. A true sense of fulfillment with the Lord, a true sense of oneness with God. That's what they were feeling. Sadly, there's teaching today that says that when you accept Christ, it's the end of your battles. This is a false teaching, because when you accept Christ, sometimes the battles are just beginning, but they're new battles. You're more equipped now for the battles. You have newer equipment for the battles, because you have Christ living in you, and you're more equipped to handle the battles, handle the things that are coming your way than you ever were before, for when the battle comes your way, you don't have to reach for that bottle. You don't have to reach for that pile of pills. You don't have to reach for that pornography or have that that sexual relation you have a way of saying no, because you've been given now a pure choice. You now have the power to say no to sin. You are a sure hope.
0: You've been listening to Pastor Dave on Assure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition! Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to assurehoperadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609 609- Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.